morning, everybody. Welcome to day 250 of GC365. Hope you're hanging in there with us. Um, we have entered into some really fun territory in the Old Testament. I'm Jesse. And I'm Krista. And we're going to start off talking about the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, whichever you prefer. Um, I just brought up a little bit of pop culture. We're not going to sing it for you here today, but I said, should we sing? Let's talk about sex. We're not going to. We are not going to do that. But um, this book is so interesting. So my Bible has a little bit of history on this, Krista. So maybe I'll just read a little bit. Song of Solomon, what I've always known about it is I've heard the two different theories. It's talking about love relationship between a man and a woman and also between God and the church. So I'm going to read this little blurb here that I have. It says, the song is the best of all songs. Oh, hang on, I'm back up. It says, love is the key word in the song. This love presenting the passionate desire between a man and a woman, King Solomon and the young woman, celebrates the joyous, joyous potential of marriage in light of sworn covenant principles. The basis for all human love should be covenant love, the master metaphor of the Bible. The covenant love is also the basis of the relationship between God and man, Therefore, the song applies properly to both marriage and to covenant history. And so then a little bit further in characteristics about this book, it says the song is the best of all songs, a literary work of art and a theological masterpiece. In the second century, one of the greatest Jewish rabbis, Akiba Ben Joseph, said in the entire world, there is nothing equal the day in which the song of songs was given to Israel. The song itself is like its favorite fruit, pomegranate, alive with color and full of seeds, Quite unlike any other biblical book, it merits special consideration as a biblical archetype, which presents anew the basic realities of man's relationships. The song employs symbolic language to express timeless truths. So there's a lot of symbolic language in this book. <laughs> I've always kind of wondered why this these particular passages and books are even in the Bible. <laughs> and so that sheds some light into why it's there. There's a lot of talking about trees and fruit. We're not going to read all of this specifically. We're going to let you do that. Hopefully you've done that already. Um, so I just highlighted some, a few verses that stood out to me, either because they were funny or interesting, or I didn't necessarily understand them all. I don't claim to understand all this. So the, in our first chapter, chapter five, it says, verse one, it says, I drink wine with my milk. Now I don't, I try to actually avoid dairy and nor do I really like wine, but the two together sound disgusting. So I don't know really what that's about, but we're just going to leave it there. I just thought I would bring it up. Um, in verse nine, it says, how is your beloved better than others? Most beautiful of women. And she says, my lover is radiant and ready. So that, that was, those descriptors were okay to read. It was G rated. So I'm like, yeah, okay. She's really, um, she loves her beloved. So as we, as you get into this and you're reading about the relationship between the man and the woman, the serendipity Bible had a question that I thought was interesting that I'd bring to the table. It says, if married using the garden metaphor, as it applies to love, what are you now growing? And the choices were nothing, weeds, desert, annuals, perennials, or a new garden. So for those of you that are married or maybe in a blossoming relationship, I thought that would just be an interesting question to throw out there. What are you now growing? So hmm, that's I'll, an interesting thought. Yes. I'll let you ponder that. Um, moving into chapter six, Chris, did you have any no, chapter eight? Well, let me, oh, okay. Chapter six, there was okay, kind sorry. of a funny verse in chapter six, verse eight, and I'm actually going to read the NLT version. It was, I 
the wording was just a little humorous to me. It kind of reminded me of um, nursery rhyme a little bit. It says, 60 queens there may be and 80 concubines and virgins beyond number. But my love, my perfect one is unique. Or excuse me, my dove, my perfect one is unique. The only daughter of her mother, the favorites of the one who bore her. The maidens saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines praised her. And so even... (laughs) Even there, we're talking about concubines. You have queens, which I would assume denotes royalty. But then I was wondering, when you're in the palace and you're walking by a concubine, what's going through your head? Do they? How's their status in the palace? Are the other women looking down on the concubines? I don't know. But here in this verse, he talks about queens, concubines, and virgins. But his dove is above all. So yeah, he obviously loves her very much. He does. He's very fond of her. <laughs> Um, in chapter seven, verse two, again, I took the NLT is slightly different in the NL NIV. It says your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Again, I don't know why we're storing blended wine in the navel, but I just thought I would bring it up. So there's that. We're kind of burning so many humorous, um, verses in verse chapter five of chapter seven. It says the sheen of your hair radiates royalty. So I do like today was a day where we did our hair. <laughs> I don't know if the sheen of my hair is radiating royalty right now, but some of these are just kind of funny. Um, you had an observation about chapter eight. I did. Um, the first verse is um, a very interesting one if you don't know the context behind it. So it says, oh, I wish you were my brother who nursed at my mother's breasts. Then I could kiss you no matter who was watching and no one would criticize me. So in doing some research and you know, some backstory on why this was written. It says that the woman expresses the way that she longs to show her lover affection in public. And that was not appropriate in their culture and time period. However, the non-romantic familial kiss was accepted as an appropriate gesture for the public. And so that's why she made that comment was because she wanted to be able to just show her affection and her love in any setting and not have to worry about what people were thinking or going to say. So now Krista, you and I both have brothers just so happens. They both happen to be named Michael. (laughs) I love my brother. I don't see him very often. He happens to live on the other side of the country. When I do see him, I do usually give him a kiss, a a kiss, (laughs) but it's a quick stop and go. It is not a lingering kiss just for clarity. Do you? I have never kissed my brother. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. There you have it. Hugs it is. Um, so there's that. Okay. That was fun. That was four chapters of the song of Solomon. And, um, we're going to move into the new Testament now. So we have second Corinthians chapter nine, and I'm going to be honest. This was, I usually look forward to the new Testament after going through the old Testament, but this was a little bit dry to me, but yet there's still some good stuff in the middle of it to set the scene Um, Paul is speaking to the church in, I believe it's Macedonia, Macedonia. and they're going to send a gift to the church in Jerusalem. And so he's talking to them about preparing this gift for the church in Jerusalem. And he says, I'm going to send some people ahead of me because I want to make sure that the gift is ready to go because I don't want to be embarrassed and I don't want you to be embarrassed. But he has some good um, principles on giving in the middle of this. Do you want to share a couple sure. of those? Um, so I highlighted verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. And um, the biggest part of that section that stood out to me is verse 8. And it says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And 
Um, then the next verse nine says, as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. And I know that um, at least, well, not at least, but definitely within the last year with the pandemic and everything, we've seen some great um things that stand out as people that have given generously, even when they don't necessarily have um, much. And something that stood out to both Jesse and I when we were talking about this was last year in December when the food bank was out of food and they put that call out to ask for donations and the community, people that didn't even know that we had the food bank stepped up and gave. And I mean, it wasn't within a few hours. People just started pouring into... Yeah. Into the parking lot with donations. So, yeah, we talked a little bit. There's can be a tension around giving you. God may be compelling you or laying it on your heart to do something. But in our flesh as human beings, we we worry, is there going to be enough money at the end of the month? And so we have families that we're taking care of. We have bills to pay. I think we all, you know, have the same questions or um, I don't know. I don't think misgiving is the right word there, but. And so we sometimes have to ask ourselves, okay, are we going to be obedient in this situation? Are we going to do trust God? Because giving is an act of trust. Trust him that if we do what he's compelling us to do, will he provide for our needs? And I feel like this passage says so beautifully that he does um, care for us. Yeah. Yeah. There's, we, we do have a very generous community here that we're grateful for. And even, um, we're, it's, we're getting ready for back to school time. And so we're dealing with, um, supplies for backpacks now, getting those ready for kids that may not, you know, families may not be able to purchase school supplies for their kids. And again, we see the community step up and help out with those. So that's, that's awesome. Um, I was just thinking of, yeah, I was, think I was telling you that I had a friend that, um, I was going to take a mission trip several years ago and I told her that I was, I was feeling like I was supposed to go on this trip, but, um, I wasn't working. My kids were young at the time and, um, I wasn't sure like, how was this all going to work out? And a few weeks later, she came up to me with an envelope and, um, she had written me a check that covered a good portion of my expenses. And just, I was shocked and grateful and, after the dust kind of settled a little bit, I kind of reflected. I'm like, oh, she definitely has a gift of giving. I had seen her do that um, kind of behind the scenes before. And I realized, oh, she's definitely a generous giver. But I was so grateful for that. Um, Yeah, just awesome. So we move into Psalm chapter 51 then. And (laughs) we just some interesting passages here today. So this was written by David. And you and I were talking about, we don't always know... um, the circumstances surrounding the psalm. The Bible will often give the author. Um, sometimes it will say what's happening, like David is hiding in a cave. Um, but this particular one, it says, regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So also kind of heavy. Um, and so this is really just his prayer for mercy. Um, did you have anything that stood out to you? In um, this? I think verse 16 and 17 were... Um, you know, little nuggets that I read, do not desire a sacrifice or you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want to burn offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Oh God. Mm. And just knowing that, you know, we can go to God and ask for forgiveness and we don't have to do the burnt offerings that they needed 
to do when it was the Old Testament times and just knowing that we can just come to him and fall before him and ask for forgiveness. Yeah. The wording here, even I'm looking at verse four, it says against you and you alone have I sinned. That really just puts it into perspective. It's yeah, sometimes we don't always consider when we're not making the right choice, you know, what what we're actually doing. But he lays it out very clearly here. I've done what is evil in your sight. Um, going in verse six, it says, you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. And I've got, if you, it says, or it reads in the inward parts. And I know there've been times in my life where I've, um, felt like I've needed wisdom. Just, I think I've really been crying out for wisdom. And I had come across that verse and just praying that God will have me to know wisdom in that you know, in those inmost parts. So that, that has been a comforting prayer for me. Um, yeah, this is good. It's a good prayer that was, was for David and that we can, the beauty of this then is that, um, we can utilize this as well. So, um, we, and then we finish off in Proverbs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to read that? Sure. Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. And I know that there's so many examples of this. Um, When you hang out with angry people, you tend to take that on yourself. And I know that I've been in the the midst of an argument with my husband, and then I've taken it out on my children. (laughs) And so I know that, you know, what you're around and what you're living and breathing can definitely affect your overall. Yeah. Yeah. Being so. Yeah. These are, they're powerful little nuggets that Proverbs gives us. That's good. Well, thank you everybody. Thank you, Krista. Thank you. Thanks for joining us and hang in there with us. January is coming. So we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye.